Thank you for joining our Transform 365 podcast, a discipleship and teaching ministry of SWCC. We pray this teaching helps you to grow in your journey with Christ. We have some great resources available for you on transform365.com webpage. Feel free to download discipleship materials, small group teaching, as well as peruse our training workshops. Also take time to visit www.swcc.org for videos, teaching, and more. We thank you for listening and your support, and we would love to hear from you. So use our contact page and drop us a line. Now, for our podcast teaching. I want to ask a couple questions today, and they might seem like such knock-it-out-of-the-park questions that they are just way too easy. And sometimes you have to have those softball pitches that are just, you know, there for you to, to hit and, and, and understand and take it. And that's what these are intended to do. I want to start with you ladies first, though. Ladies, would you make spaghetti in your wedding dress? Or guys, would you put on your best suit and then go outside and do an oil change and lube on your car? People are laughing, so I think you guys are getting what I'm getting at here. Would you use your fine china for barbecue or pizza? I, had, I heard one yes in there. Some of you guys value barbecue and pizza very high up there. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. But the answer to most of those questions is going to be no way, right? We would never sacrifice our best for the menial, would we? Pizza can be on paper plates. It's easy to make that determination. An oil change can be done wearing your street clothes or work clothes or whatever has the most holes and oil stains already on it, right? Spaghetti is not going to be made in anything that's white. Let's just put it that way. Because you're always going to have the splatches that take place. In other words, we are not to give what we prize to be disrespected. Amen? And Jesus says the same thing about our interactions in everyday life. He says, I don't want you to be giving away what you prize the most to things that are going to disrespect it. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up and follow along with me today. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to focus specifically in in one key verse. Matthew chapter 7, taking a look at verse 6. Jesus says this, Do not give what is holy to dogs. And do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. When I was a kid, and we first moved back to Miami, I was uh, six years old, my brother, my older brother, he was nine, and we were bugging our dad to make us a treehouse, because we had this big, giant uh, umbrella, you know, tree in our backyard that was just perfect for making a tree fort. 
And we bothered dad, we bothered dad, we bothered dad, and finally he gathered all his tools up and he began to make us a tree fort in the backyard with our help. We were more of a nuisance than anything. But I remember what ended up happening is my dad bought a bunch of new tools while he was making the tree fort, and he ended up giving me and my brother all of his old tools. And we were just so excited because every man that's seated here today that has ever watched the show Home Improvement, whenever you get a drill or anything of that nature, you squeeze the drill and you go, right? I mean, it's just something inside of you. You get excited about that. You know, Tim the Toolman Taylor. And, but, but it's just something intrinsic in, in men and boys to love their, their toys, right? And so me and my brother, we were just excited about these, and we're cutting wood that doesn't need to be cut. We're drilling into things that don't need to be drilled in. We're banging, you know, nails, and most of them are twisted the wrong way. Our dad's teaching us how to use them because that was my dad's living, Right? His tools were part of his living. And so he gave us these tools that were a part of him. They were a part of the very fabric of his life. And of course, us kids, us boys, we were just so excited to have them. We, we, we took the best care of them. We polished them. We oiled them. We lubed them. We made sure that they were just taken so well care of because my dad had placed such a great value on them. Although that didn't take place at all. Because what we did was we left them outside and they got soaked in the rain. And I remember how much trouble we got into because my dad, he just didn't understand how we couldn't make the connection of tools are life. Because in his mind, his tools were what produced and what gave us food on the table. And here we were looking at our tools like we would look at our G.I. Joes. Why? Because you don't give something that you highly value to people that could care less. And that's where me and my brother were at that time. Me and Rob, we were looking at the tools as toys, not as a living and a future. And that's the similar understanding that Jesus is trying to give to his disciples as he's just encouraging them in their growth and walk in Jesus Christ and their fellowship with Him, He's saying, hey, I don't want you to cast pearls before swine. To understand this passage, we're going to need to break down the symbolisms that Jesus is using here. I mean, He gives quite a few. He's talking about dogs. He's talking about pearls. He's talking about swine. He's talking about all these different things. And we need to try to understand what Jesus is getting at. Wow, that disco is just totally coming on here. <laughs> First, he starts by saying, do not give what is holy to dogs. You see, a lot of times when we are reading scripture, what do we do? We instantly input our understanding of things rather than try to put ourselves in the sandals of the individuals that were there before. And so when we think of dogs, I mean, I remember the first time, you know, as I was doing this study, I'm thinking of my little lap dog, Dachshund, jumping onto my lap, and I'm sitting there petting, and yeah, you, you know, you give him a couple table scraps and things like that. But Jesus isn't talking about a lap dog. You see, in that time, dogs were not these tamed animals like we have today. If you had a dog, and you kept a dog, 
It was more of a pack dog. It was going to be more for hunting, for, for going to war and sending them to attack people. It was more of that in the nature where you were using the aggression of the dog for your service. In fact, in 1 Kings 21, 22 to 25, one of the punishments that God is saying that he's going to pour out on Ahab's family is that their carcasses would be torn apart by wild dogs. And so dogs didn't get the same idea like we get today, that yellow lab that's always loyal. No, no, no. They were vicious. And they had to fight for the scraps that fell off the master's table if they were owned. They had to forage for themselves. You wouldn't have a bag of dog food sitting in the corner in Jesus' day. In Luke chapter 16, the story of Lazarus and the rich man, it says that some of the dogs ate the crumbs off the table of the master of the house. In other words, it was saying that this man, he kept dogs. Why? Because they were his defense, they were his security, they were his hunt, they were his prize for, for the attack in that time. And these vicious animals, they felt pity on the man Lazarus, who had open sores on his body, and it was crying out in pain and in hunger. And it says that they began to lick his wounds. So Jesus says here, do not give what is holy to a dog. To a Jewish person, what they had that was holy was their sacrifice to God. That they would bring to the Lord. That bull, that ox, that goat, that sheep, that bird, it would be bled. And a portion would be given to the priests, right? They would take and they would burn on the altar of the Lord and, and that some of the fat would be kept for the priests. Some of the burnt offering would be kept for the priests and then the rest would be burnt up to the Lord. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, look, you wouldn't give some of that choice, fine, beautiful sacrifice that you've just offered up to the Lord and that the priests and the Levites would keep some of it for themselves. You wouldn't take some of that and now give it to a street dog, would you? You wouldn't give what you have worked so hard for, that sheep that you raised out and grazed out in the field, that sheep without blemish, that perfect firstborn sheep, you wouldn't take that sheep and you wouldn't give it to the dogs to eat, would you? You wouldn't give what has been holy and consecrated to a dog that looks at whatever they're given as scraps that need to be devoured as quickly as they can. Because a dog can't distinguish what's holy and what's not. The dog doesn't know the sacrifice that went into the offering. The dog has no respect to the service that was given to consecrate this animal. And Jesus is saying is you don't give what's holy to this dog. So who are the dogs? That's, that's the question within this that we have to get to. Jesus is speaking particularly about people. So who are the dogs in this scenario? A dog in Jesus' day and even after was a person that was a religious leader, 
that was rejecting what Jesus did on the cross or would do on the cross, or in his case, the Pharisees, they're rejecting Jesus as Messiah. And they're seeing themselves as so holy and righteous that they can earn salvation on their own. They saw what they had to offer God as better than the sacrifice of Jesus. That's what the dog was in the time of Christ and even after in Peter and Paul's time. In fact, if you go to Philippians chapter 3 with me, Philippians chapter 3, let's start in verse 1 and we'll read down to verse 6. It says this, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. So Paul is letting us know by by combining all of these things that come after the dogs. He's saying, hey look, the dogs are evil workers. The dogs are false circumcision teachers. In other words, he's saying these are people that are going to teach you that you need to keep the law of Moses and sacrifice in order to be saved. That's what the dogs are. For we are of the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now Jesus, remember, He had said to the woman at the well, He said, hey listen, there's going to be a time when people, when they worship Me, they will worship Me in spirit and in truth. And so Paul, he's recollecting those words to them that, hey, look, we are worshiping God in spirit. We are circumcised of spirit. We are of that spirit and truth. We are those worshipers now. And he continues in verse 4, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. Paul says, hey look, if anybody has any right to go ahead and say that they are a righteous person, I have that right. And he lists, he says, look, I've done all these accomplishments. I've done all these different things. He's like, these dogs that are telling you that you need to do these things. He's like, if you notice, I'm not telling you that. Why? Because as you read later on, he says, I count those things as loss, verse 7. Those things don't matter in Christ. Those things have done me nothing. Keeping the law, nothing. The sacrifice is nothing. Paul says, I want to warn you about the religious dogs that do their deeds, but they have no meaning to them. That's why Paul says, hey, they they count as nothing. They are loss. Yes, I went through all the rituals. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I learned my Hebrew. I wasn't a, a, a Greek Septuagint reader, although he, he did know the Greek very, very well. He said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a Benjamite. 
He studied under Gamaliel, one of the top rabbis of his day. Paul says, I have the lineage and the history and everything that anybody could ever want when it came to being a Jewish child. He goes, but it's loss if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus is saying, Paul is saying, just like Jesus said, be careful of these dogs that come and they tell you of the importance of having to follow the law, of having to do the sacrifices, of having to fall in line in a certain way because you'll lose your salvation. He's saying all of that is loss. Loss. Why? Because they're gobbling up. They're gobbling up the good but for them, it's just fill for their bellies. There's no reverence to it. Yes, they're doing good works. But you know what? It's just to do them. They're doing actions. But it's just to do them. That's why when Jesus, he saw the Pharisees coming down to be baptized, what did he tell them? You guys are hypocrites. You are venomous snakes. And the axe is sitting at the door. Why would he say that? Why would Jesus call the Pharisees that would want to do good things venomous snakes? Because they were doing it just for the actions, just to gobble it up as one more thing, one more check next to a box. Jesus is saying that's not what it is. It's about the relationship that's being developed through me, through Jesus Christ. So he says, don't waste your time with the dogs. Don't give what is your wisdom, what is holy to dogs. Why? Because it's just another thing for them to do, for them to devour, for them to get done. Have you ever noticed dogs, when they eat, they're never really satisfied? You can't leave food out for a dog, or else they're just going to keep on eating and eating and eating, unless they've been trained. Because some dogs you have to train not to just continually eat. Well, I remember one day we had a really old dog. She's already passed now. And um, we asked the De Jesuses to watch her for me. I had talked to Abe and, and Nick, and Nick was going to watch Allie for us. She was our old miniature Dachshund. And Allie had a never-ending hunger for food. And so I remember uh, just... We, we brought Allie over, and we went out of town for the weekend, and Abe calls me. He's like, hey, I got a question for you. Yeah, what's up? Um, so we leave our dog's food out. They, they have a very well-trained Vishla named Colt. And he's like, and, and we leave our dog's food out, and every morning I walk out, and Colt's food was gone. So I figured Colt must have eaten all his food, and he's extra hungry. So I put a little bit more food out, and then a couple minutes later, I walk by, and the food's gone. So I put a little bit more food, and it was gone. And finally, I sat back, and I watched, and Allie's eating her food. And as soon as he, she would see me walk out of the room, she would run over the bowl, and she'd eat that food. So I came back, and I'll let you know that my little miniature Dachshund looked like a lowrider because her belly was dragging on the floor. I mean, all we had to do is put some hydraulics and put the music after her, and the lowrider song would go perfect. It was the funniest thing to see. She just had this bloated stomach. I called her when we came to pick her up, and she's just like, oh. 
Why? Because a dog will eat and eat and eat and eat until they vomit. And then later on, they'll even go back to that. Because that is the makeup of a dog, is not to differentiate into, oh, well, that belongs to them, and that belongs... No, a dog is trained in their mind. It's in their very natural instincts of, I might not find food again, so I need to find and eat the food that's here and available to me and conserve. And that's what Jesus is trying to get to, is don't give to somebody that can't differentiate between what's holy and what's not. We don't give hot dogs on a silver platter, right? Because the word of God is for those who want it and who it makes sense to, who's thirsting for it. We continue on. Who are the pigs within this passage? Because Jesus, going back to Matthew chapter 7, he says, and you do not throw your pearls before swine. So who are these pigs? Who are these swine? Swine in that time, as we know, were unclean animals. They were unfit to eat to the Jewish people and unfit to sacrifice. In fact, in Tychus Epiphanes, one of the things that he did that he knew would just be completely wrong and, and a smack in the face to the Jewish people is he went into Jerusalem, he went into the high holy city, he went into the temple, and he sacrificed a pig in order to defile the temple after he had conquered the Jewish people. And so here Jesus is saying, okay, so don't give your pearls to the swine or they're going to trample all over them in their nasty muck. And they'll turn around and attack and they'll go after you. Pigs, when they're very, very hungry, they will bite and attack their handlers until they get what they want. And when, when pigs are very hungry, they do this mob rule mentality. If you go out there with their feed bucket and you're, you're a little late, they will start nibbling at your toes and biting your ankles until you finally throw down the food, until they finally are able to get exactly what they want. And here, in that time, Jesus is talking about unbelievers. He's saying, okay, the, the unclean are the unbelievers, those haven't that haven't been regenerate in Jesus Christ, or those who at that time had not believed in Messiah. And he's saying the pearls here is a reference to the wisdom in Scripture. Job 28.18 talks about that. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is like finding the rarest of pearls in Matthew chapter 13, 45 and 46. So what is referring to is you don't take the wisdom that comes from Scripture, the talk of the kingdom of God, and give that to unbelievers because they don't understand it. They could care less. What they want is what they want to hear. And Jesus is saying is if you cast those pearls before the swine, if you start telling people, hey, what you're doing is wrong and they're not a believer, they're going to turn and trample you. Who are you to tell me that? Why? Because Jesus says two things will happen here when an unbeliever hears the Word of God. He says they'll trample it under their feet and then they'll turn and tear you to pieces. In other words, they care less about what the believer sees as precious. 
You see, we as believers, we hold the Word of God, and it's something, I mean, we believe what the cover says. When it says Holy Bible, we believe every bit of it. And we see it as precious in our eyes. But what does the world do? It looks at us and says, a seven-day creation? Bah! Impossible. And they make fun of that, right? They, we say that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, and they look at that and they make fun of that. And they look for reasons to mock and make fun, and they take and the pearls of wisdom that we look at as precious. And they trample upon it. But then if a believer speaks out words of truth that come to Scripture, from Scripture, we stand up and we declare something that is, is from the Word of God, and they don't like it, what do they do? They turn and tear to pieces. There's a lot of megachurches that are full of unbelievers. But as soon as that preacher speaks out, those people can turn against him and tear him to pieces. Why? Because right now they're being fed what they want to hear. They're getting the slop. But as soon as the pearls of wisdom that comes from the word of God come out, they'll turn and attack. They care less about what the believer sees as precious. They want what they want. They want to just eat. They want their food. They want their turn. And if they hear something that doesn't fit with what is palatable to them, they will turn and attack. Look, the world doesn't care about Christian morals and standards and ethics. They want their feed. And if you try to give them what seems like a filling to you, they'll turn against you. Paul put it this way, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, to those who aren't believers, to those who are going to die and they're not going to be in heaven for all eternity, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, to those of us that are growing in our salvation, meaning we're being sanctified. That's 1 Corinthians 1.18. We look at the Word of God and we're going, man, this is great, I need to change by this. When the world looks at it and says, why are you judging me? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, turn there if you would like there with me, 1 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15, it says this, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. What does that mean? They're going to do you good spiritually. The Holy Spirit's going to gobble that up and grow. But he who is, spiritually, who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. The person that wants to grow in Christ, that is a believer in Christ, is going to look at ways to grow in every instance of life. I like what Brother Al said today. It's that spiritual, I think you said inconvenience or something like that. It was when God basically just interrupts. That divine interruption. That's what it was. And you're looking for that in your life. You want God to intervene. We, we pray for it, don't we? 
We're constantly saying, hey, God, not my will, not my steps, not my plan. Let yours be done. So we're asking for that. But an unbeliever, they could care less of God's intervening in their life. In fact, they see it as a nuisance. God, I don't even want you to come back. A believer looks at life, at work, at the Word of God, and sees how they can grow by it. How can this honor God? How can I honor God with this? How can this be something that brings praise to to others' lips? What does God say about this that I'm doing right now? What what would God, if he was standing right next to me and Jesus was was just guiding me in this, what would he do in this moment? But a believer, an unbeliever, sees that as a waste and it's trampled. Peter puts it this way in 2 Peter. Turn there if you will with me. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. It has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. They go back to rolling in their own feces, in other words. This full passage talks about a man going back to his religion and self-righteousness. Have you ever seen that? I've seen that plenty of times. People trust Christ and now they, they feel that they're their, their own works are going to earn them salvation or a better salvation than everybody else or that they have to maintain their salvation through their works and their actions. And what is that doing? That's diminishing the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, isn't it? It's saying, Jesus, what you did on the cross is not enough to keep me saved. I have to keep me saved. Even though I didn't know how to do it before, I know now. And there's nobody better than Peter to say this, is there? I think there's nobody better than Peter who, you know, I I know I've said this before, he needs peppermint socks for so many times he puts his foot in his mouth. It would just make his breath so much better. Why? Because Peter, he would constantly do things and, and just regret it later, right? Jesus, I will never abandon you. All these guys, they're gone. Oh, Peter, guess what? Three times. Three times you're going to reject me this very night. Peter, oh, Jesus, this is great that we've seen this. What we should do is build an altar to you and Moses and to Elijah, and then we'll worship. It will be great. Peter, tell no one what you saw. Calm down there, Peter. Right? We all love Peter. No better than Peter to say these words in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. Why? Because when Peter's talking to believers here, and that's what he's talking to, 2 Peter chapter 2, the whole thing in its context, he's saying, hey, look, guys, you can't think that you're going to better what you have in Jesus by doing acts of righteousness, thinking that it's going to build on something that you already have in Christ. That is a dog returning to its own vomit. That is a pig after being washed. Okay? Why, Why would Paul say a pig being washed? He's talking about it would be a Gentile that's been cleaned by Jesus Christ going and 
saying, you know what, I can go back to Zeus, I can go back to this, I can go back to that. No one better than Peter. Acts chapter 10, it was, was brought up in Sunday school today. Peter, he has this argument with Jesus as Jesus is giving him this vision and saying, hey, look, Peter, all these things you can now eat. Peter, guess what? You get to have lobster bisque, man. You get to have those po'boy sandwiches. And Peter's saying, oh, Jesus, I would never touch that. Peter, don't try to give me religion. Don't, don't call unclean what I've called clean and say that you can have now, Peter. Peter says, okay, fine, I'll, I'll kill and I'll eat. But, but Peter fought this in his entire life. Why? As, as a dog returns to its own vomit. As a person that sees themselves righteous will go back to their righteous acts. So here Jesus is giving him the reprimand in Acts chapter 10. And Peter says, okay, dog, tail between the legs. Okay, master. But what ends up happening in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, it says that Paul had to reprimand Peter when he was visiting the, Jew, the, the Greeks in Antioch. Why? Because Peter was loving it up, man. He's eating the pork. He's uh, sitting with the, the Gentiles. He's, he's just totally enjoying everything that the Gentile nation had to give as believers in Christ. He is fellowshipping with them. And then Paul said, but as soon as he saw James, he wouldn't eat with them. He wouldn't associate with them. He wouldn't eat the bacon. Like a dog returns to its own vomit. And he said, oh, but I reprimanded him to his face in front of everybody. I told him what you're doing is wrong. And so that's why 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter's just calling it out. He's like, hey, guess what? You know what those things are? You know what it was when I wouldn't eat with my brothers in Christ because they weren't Jewish originally or they weren't walking the way that I wanted them to walk? He's like, that's a dog returning into its own vomit. I can't force Jewish law on Gentile people. Because you know what? We can't even keep it. Brothers and sisters, the main point of this is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for the lost. But the Bible... Our pearls of wisdom, the growth that comes from it is for believers. We're to go and take the message of the gospel to all the nations. We are to go and take the saving faith that we know, what we trusted ourselves, that God so loved the world. We are to take that to the world. We are to share that with everyone that doesn't believe. But the Word of God, the, the precious gems that are in here that we've mined ourselves, we are to grow by that and grow others by that. And you can only grow someone if they have trusted Christ already. Friends, the Bible is not for people that don't care for it. So don't waste your time sharing its wisdom for someone that doesn't appreciate it, that will trample it, and that will disrespect it. 
The Bible in its wisdom is for growth of the believer. Take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 with me. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says this, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the unbeliever may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That's not what my Bible says either. It says, so the man of God. So the person that's already saved can grow and change. The Word of God is for application. The Word of God is for study for enlightenment on how we can change our lives and live better lives. How we can reach people through our testimony. It's how to grow. It's literally, you know, today we all love to go on YouTube. Why? Because it teaches us right then how to do something, right? This is our YouTube for our lives. You want to know how to work better? Read the Bible. You want to know how to be a better parent? Read the Bible. You want to know how to be a better, a better student? Read the Bible. You want to know how to be a better boss? Read your Bible. You want to know how to have a better marriage? Read your Bible. Why? Because it is profitable for the growth of the believer so that the man of God is adequate, approved for every good work. It's literally your step-by-step cookbook for living. Martha Stewart ain't got nothing on this. And yes, it may hurt because the Bible confronts us, right? It confronts us with our sin, It says, hey, look, you guys don't do what the pagans do. Don't do these things as been counted among you. Paul says it plenty of times. As been counted among you. When he says that, what you know what he's doing? He's taking jabs at believers. He says, hey, look, there's sorcerers. There's people that are reading the tarot cards. There's people that are involved in homosexuality. There's people that are going out and sleeping with people that they shouldn't be and, and, and defiling the marriage bed and has been counted as some among you. He's saying, hey, look, you believers are doing these things. But Paul can say that because to a believer, it's words of wisdom that cut to the quick. To an unbeliever, if Paul said, hey, you guys shouldn't be practicing these things, they're going to be like, who are you to tell me that? But to a believer, why? Because it hurts. It hurts. It hurts not to be fleshly. It hurts to make a sacrifice. It hurts to make effort. I mean, most of the descriptors that Paul gives us in his life, he's like, I've I've agonized over this. I've wrestled this. I'm running. It's all descriptors of pain and suffering and going without. But rather than live ignoring what the Bible says, rather than being paralyzed to an action or, or deluding ourselves, as James says, we can live free of conviction Free in the knowledge that we are running our race and running it well. Free in understanding and constantly growing. Why? Because of prayer and study of God's word. Amen? 
For an unbeliever, they would care less about spending time reading God's word. It's the pig in the passage. You need to reach that person for the sake of Christ before going to them and saying, hey, guess what? You shouldn't be sleeping with that girl over there. Okay, what does that have to do with you? You can't convict an unbeliever of sin in their life. You need to reach them for the sake of Christ. There's a saying, it says, you catch the fish, let God clean the fish, right? I mean, that's what we should be doing. Don't go to an unbeliever and try to convict them of their sins. Reach them for the sake of Christ first. And that's what this passage is talking about. It's coming right after not judging. Why? Because Jesus is trying to lay out for us, hey, with your not judging, now don't take your wisdom and cast it to unbelievers or people that think they're self-righteous. Give it to people that are going to grow with it. Give it to somebody that's going to break down crying and say, you know what, you're right, I am. I'm doing these things wrong. In fact, let's go back to first to James, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 7. Let's read the full passage starting in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 7. And we'll read to Matthew 7 verse 7. So we could get its full context of what Jesus is saying here. He says, do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be judged to you. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, and behold, there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the speck out of your own, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open unto you. To one you call brother, do not judge unfairly or harshly, because that will come back to you. Use Jesus' standard measure and judgment of grace, love, and mercy within your life, and that's what pours back into your life. Why? Because we can all take correction from somebody that loves us, that's been in the ring with us, somebody that has our back, can't we? It's easier for somebody that cares about us to come alongside us and say, hey, you know that thing that you're doing is wrong. It's so much easier than somebody that's always gossiping or doesn't like us and things like that, right? There's a saying that a, a, a person that I care about said once is, don't take criticism from somebody that you wouldn't, um, excuse me, don't accept criticism from somebody that you wouldn't take advice from. And that's the thing, is, is somebody that you care about, that somebody that you would take advice from, it's okay, they, they, it's, there's comfort in their words. Why? Because they're doing the fight alongside you. The idea of this is in verses 1 through 5. Don't try and don't judge. Correct 
and set the standard with unbelievers. You can't do that. You can't set a standard with unbelievers. Verse 7. The wisdom that you're sharing out of love and concern is nonsense to them. But as you approach things, go at it with prayer. Go at it with understanding that comes from God's word. Ask for his guidance. Ask and it'll be given. Seek. Seek God in his word. Seek him as you pray. And knock. Want that growth. In other words, don't be concerned about telling an unbeliever things that don't make sense to them. Because as Paul said, it's foolishness. Don't go to an unbeliever and tell them it's wrong to have sex before marriage. Does that, does that really make sense to them? No. Why? Because that wisdom comes from Scripture. Care more about their salvation than what they're doing behind closed doors. It doesn't help them when they don't know Jesus. You can't tell someone not to get drunk if they haven't been forgiven. Amen? Get that person saved first and then worry about their character. Don't try to clean the person up before getting them saved. You can't put lipstick on a pig. If you're trying to get someone saved, start at God so loved the world. Not at whoever looks at a woman with lust in his eyes. You catch the fish and let Jesus clean them. Worry more about the eternal state than about their current condition. It's more important to get somebody saved than to get them to repent over the choices they're making. Why? Because, yeah, you might be able to clean somebody up here on earth, but what does it profit the man if in the end it's eternal damnation? Let's reach people for the kingdom of God. Thank you for joining the Transform 365 podcast, a ministry dedicated to helping you grow in relationship to Christ. If you want to know more, find us at transform365.com or on our church website, www.swcc.org, located in Miami, Florida. Until next time, remember, the only work in grace is to let grace work in you. God bless.